You know, <clears throat> Nietzsche despised the idea of hope. He said that all it did was prolong the suffering of humanity. But even he was hopeful that he would have the proper understanding of the world around him and be able to articulate that correctly. So what it teaches us is that human beings are innately hopeful. We, we want to have hope. We desire to have hope. I want you to open your Bible with me to Romans chapter 15 because Paul addresses the subject of our Christian hope here in Romans 15. Hope is the desire for a cherished outcome to be realized in your life. And hope is not the same thing as faith. They're two different words in Scripture and it's two different ideas. But faith is trusting in someone or something to bring about the fulfillment of your hope. You know, animals will die quickly when they are hopeless. But they can revive quickly if given a new hope. They did some, some scientists did some experiments in a laboratory with, with some rats. And they, took, uh, two, they had two groups of rats. They put uh, half of the rats in a vat of water and left them there. And within a couple of days, they were all drowned. They took the same number of rats, put them in another vat of water, the same amount of water, the only difference is they, once a day they came and lifted each rat out for just a few seconds and put that back into the water, put the rat back into the water. Those rats lived for several weeks. What's the point? Hope is powerful. Hope is something that can make us endeavor. Samuel Johnson said, where there is no hope, there can be no endeavor. But we have to remember that hope is not a virtue in itself. Hope is neither good nor bad. It can lead to sin or it can lead to righteousness. You can misplace your hope. You can fix your hope on things that are evil. Eve put her hopes on something that was evil. She hoped that the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil would open her eyes and make her wise and satisfy her appetite. What I want to tell you is that this generation today has misplaced our hope. People put their hopes in money. You know, the the Mega Millions jackpot will be drawn this Tuesday. Did you know that? You're not willing to admit it. Okay. Some of you have been... Okay. Someone will win $305 million. It won't be me. I haven't bought any lottery tickets. But did you know that the odds of winning that jackpot are 1 in 302 million? More than 302 million tickets. That's like filling the gymnasium over here head high with quarters. Wall to wall. And you have the same odds of walking into that gymnasium and pulling one marked quarter out of that gymnasium. That's the odds. And I don't, I've been guilty of saying, and other people I've heard say, when I win the jackpot, I will whatever. 1 Timothy six seventeen says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, 
who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. I mean, people set their hopes on money. People set their hopes on in the government, in an election, in a political party. People set their hopes in a bottle or a pill. Insurance, doctors, hospitals, health care. Some people set their hopes in a relationship. Some in retirement. What have you put your hope on? I want to share with you this truth from this passage. And I hope to lift this from the passage. Jesus is the only hope that never disappoints. Jesus is the only hope that will never disappoint you. Paul says in chapter 5 of Romans that we have this hope and our hope does not put us to shame. It does not disappoint us. Jesus is that only hope. Would you stand with me? We're going to read together from Romans chapter 15. We're going to pick up in verse 4. And we'll read down through verse 13. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. That through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. As it is written, Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you. With all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word today. And Lord, we pray that you would help us align our hearts with yours today, that we might be obedient to what we hear, that we might be encouraged to serve you, and Father, that we would endure through troubles and hardships and heartaches with with the hope of our hearts fixed upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. It's in his name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. I want to share with you this morning four conduits of hope, how God channels hope into your life, and how whenever you are feeling down and discouraged, you can have hope that lifts you up out of that place. And, and the first one of these is the encouragement of Scripture. Look back with me in verse 4. He says, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. Now, when we think about that, not every passage of Scripture is written to you. That, that's a, just a basic hermeneutical principle when you go to the text to realize that just because it says something in the Bible does not mean that that was written to you. Now, that's important for you to know that. I mean, that's why we don't all go out and build an ark, right? 
Because that wasn't written to you. But every passage of Scripture is written for you. For your instruction. For your encouragement. Do not neglect to read the Old Testament. Just because it wasn't written to you. It was written for you. Now, I think about these passages in the Old Testament and we're thinking about hope and I think about these hopeful passages in the Old Testament that give me encouragement. And I just want to share a couple of them with you. I don't expect you to write them down or anything. I just want to show you what the Old Testament can do for us if we read it and we listen to the words. We think about the people to whom God is writing. Psalm 42, 5 through 6, why are you, uh, David uh, says, why are you, excuse me, the psalmist says, it's not David, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Proverbs 23, 18, uh, surely there is a future, and your hope will not be cut off. Now think about that and I think about one of the inscriptions uh, that it says on uh, some of the tombstones. It says, uh, it talks about how this man, he lived, he died, and then he was no more. Some of the inscriptions on tombstones in Paul's day. You think about that. Death is not the end for any of us. Now, some of us will spend eternity with God and others will spend eternity away from His presence. But the hope of Scripture is that if we put our faith in Christ and we fix our hope on the glory that's to come, our future is sure and our hope will not be cut off. Proverbs ten twenty eight: The hope of the righteous brings joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. I mean, think about it. The, Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, everything that we hope for is like grasping for the wind. It's like vapor. Here on this earth. But if we put our hope in God. It will bring us joy. Job 13, 15. I think about this. You you remember the story of Job, right? He lost everything. He's suffering in a heap of ashes. His friends are no comfort to him. His wife says, curse God and die. Listen to what Job said. Job said, though he slay me, I will hope in him. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. Now, listen. I, I don't. We're not health, wealth, and prosperity preachers. So I know that this passage has been misused and misappropriated many times. But it's still true for those who know the Lord. He says, "For I know the plans I have for you," declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Isaiah forty and verse thirty one. You know this one. They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The Old Testament and all of Scripture is a love letter from God. That He made a promise in that note to redeem and rescue His people. Suppose you're on a a long journey. Across oceans to distant land which you've never been. You're on a mission and you had a purpose. But along the way, you faced difficulty and trials and hardships. You weren't clear about the way and the direction you should go. You thought many times about giving up, but in your left coat pocket, 
you had a note from the king of that land that said, when you get there, when you get there, he would be the one to greet you and welcome you into that place and all that he had would be yours. Would that make a difference? Would that make a difference? Would you be able to endure? Would you be able to push on? Would you be able to carry on? Would you have hope in your heart? Well, this is the promise that God made to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. A kingdom that endures forever. And the writer of Hebrews says they never got to see it on this earth. But they kept on. And they had hope of a home, of a city not built with human hands. God, God's word reminds us, the Old Testament, the New Testament, of who we are, of whose we are, and where we're headed. It's for our instruction. I read this week about a large school system in a large city that had a program to help children keep up with their schoolwork during days that they spent in the city's hospital. One day a teacher was assigned to the program to, re, uh, to receive, that she received a routine call asking her to visit a particular child. She took the child's name and room and number and talked briefly with the child's regular class teacher. And the teacher said, we're studying nouns and adverbs in his class now. And I'd be grateful if you would help him understand them so he doesn't fall too far behind. Well, the hospital program teacher went to see the boy that afternoon. No one had mentioned to her that the boy had been badly burned as in, and was in tremendous pain. Upset at the sight of the boy, she stammered as she told him, I've been sent by your school to help you with your nouns and your adverbs. When she left, she felt like she probably hadn't accomplished much. But the next day, a nurse asked her, what did you do to the boy? The teacher felt she must have done something wrong and began to apologize. And No, no, said the nurse. You don't know what I mean. We've been worried about that little boy, but ever since yesterday, his whole attitude has changed. He's fighting back, responding to treatment. It's as though he's decided to live. Two weeks later, the boy explained that he had completely given up hope until his teacher arrived. Now listen to what he said. Everything changed when he came to a simple realization. He said it this way. They wouldn't send a teacher to work on nouns and adverbs with a dying boy, would they? The Word of God, through the illumination of the Holy Spirit is our teacher. Paul says it's written for our instruction. And then he goes on to say that it's, it's about endurance and the encouragement of Scripture so that we might have hope. If you find your hope dwindling, go to the deep well of God's Word. It never runs dry. And it will always give you hope. And I feel like there's far too many depressed Christians out there today. And the reason is we've left the Bible on the shelf and it's 
collecting dust and all the hope and encouragement that we need to fight on and continue to live and thrive is hidden right here in the Word of God. And all we have to do is open it and apply it to our lives. The first conduit of hope is the encouragement of Scripture. Secondly, the second conduit of hope is the edification of the saints. And this is why the writer of Hebrews says, don't neglect to meet together as is the habit of some. And then he goes on to say, spurring one another on toward loving good deeds. Every single one of us needs the encouragement of the body. Now listen to what Paul says again. He says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, that's exactly what we just did here at church. Do you feel hopeful now? Amen. I feel great about seeing what we sung about uh, what Christ has done for us. And we've shared our testimonies of how faithful He is, declaring the goodness of God. And we know that He provides for His children because we are living proof. Your worship is a testament to the goodness of God. What Paul envisions in our worship is that our worship should reflect the reality of heaven. People from all walks of life, rich, poor, Slave, free, red, yellow, black, white, all coming together in perfect harmony, declaring the praises of the one who saved us. Ephesians 2, Paul says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. You were on the outside looking in. You were on the outside looking in. You remember we talked about last week about hospitality means welcoming And treating those on the outside as if they are insiders. And this is what Paul is getting at here. He says at one point in time you were on the outside. Separated from Christ. You Gentiles. You didn't have the promise. Having no hope. Excuse me. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. And strangers to the covenants of promise. Having no hope. And without God in the world. Now that, that statement, just that phrase right there, is probably one of the darkest phrases in Scripture. I know there's a couple more that I would put right up there at the top of the list. But thinking about the people out there that are outside of the covenant community of Christ, they are without hope, without God in the world. That's a terrible state to, to live in. And so here we are lighting the flame. Lighting the candle of hope. Not a physical candle, but the hope that's in our hearts when we come together and we share and we worship Christ together and we proclaim what He's done together in worship. We're a city on a hill. We're a lamp that can't be hidden. And we collectively with one voice declare who Christ is. And so then he goes on to say this. He goes on to say, uh, as we do that, Verse 7, therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Go get those folks and bring them in. Everyone needs 
to be welcomed. I mean, you think about this for a moment. How great does it make you feel whenever someone meets you in that hallway before you come to worship and says, hey, I'm glad you're here. I'm so glad to see you. Everyone needs that encouragement from time to time. Especially Alabama fans. Um, sorry. I just thought I'd throw that one out there. So we have the encouragement of the Scripture, the edification, the building up the bo- of the body of Christ as we gather together in unity. There's hopefulness in that. And then thirdly, the third conduit, the evidence of Christ's sacrifice. When we think about the next thing that he says, he talks about what Jesus did. He says, for I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. I mean, the last pages of the Old Testament are so full of the hopefulness of the coming of the Messiah. And we know that Christ fulfilled every single one of those promises. Every single one. And if you think about it, there's a, there's a mathematician that did, did some work on this. And he said that these messianic prophecies that Jesus fulfilled... There's so many of them in the Old Testament. He just took 48 of them and he found out that in order for someone to fulfill that, the probability of one person be able to fulfill all of those would be 10 followed by 157 zeros to one. It's a number that's incomprehensible. But in fact, he fulfilled more than 324 individual prophecies that related to the Messiah. That first calculation is amazing enough, but if you think about 324, just taking 48, that's 10 followed by 157 zeros behind it. Now if you take 324, and the, the, the probability of one person fulfilling all of those prophecies is mind-blowing. And yet Jesus did that perfectly. He says, I tell you that he came to be a servant. He came to be a servant. When Jesus entered the stage and he opened up the scripture, he opened it up to the book of Isaiah and he said, the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, to set the captives free, to give sight to the blind. When I think about Jesus coming and, and being born in a manger and being laid in a manger and, and then living that humble life, having to flee to Egypt, having to come back and, and grow up just like the rest of us to, to suffer you know, scraped knees and, and colds and, and the loss of loved ones and, and doing all of those things. Why did he do it? He did it because he came to be a servant to the circumcised. Those are the Jewish people. He came to be a servant to them. He, he, he knelt down and made some mud with his spit in the ground and he put that mud over the blind man's eyes and gave him sight. He told the, the lame man to take up his bed and walk. He told the little girl, Talitha Kuma, which means, little girl, get up! And she got up. And all throughout his ministry, he was serving, he was healing, he was saving the circumcised. 
As you think about the Jewish people, though, going all the way back to the very first, the very beginning, the beginning of that promise that was given to Abraham. You remember the, what, what God said to Abraham? He said, in you, all the nations would be blessed. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. And that means that if God keeps His promise to the Jewish people, you can bank on it that God will keep His promise to you. And He did. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1.20, For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why through Him we utter our amen to God for His glory. But not only did Jesus come healing people and serving people, and the Bible says that in Matthew, says that He came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. He didn't just serve us and tell us nice things. He went to the cross for us. And so every time I look at what Jesus did, every time I look at the manger, I look at His sinless life, and then I look at the cross, the hope that's within me wells up. And He encourages me again that He says, if I would do this for you, won't I take care of today? Somebody say amen to that. If He would do all of this for you, and would keep His promise, won't He take care of today? He loves you enough that He would die for you. Not only that, He didn't stay dead, but... On the third day, glory to God, He came back and we fix our hope on a new day that's coming. We're not looking, we're looking back at the cross. We're not looking forward to the cross. We're looking back at the cross. We're looking forward to His return. We're looking forward to the hope that we've fixed our eyes upon, which is that one day Jesus Christ will appear in the sky. He'll come and He'll rescue us from this world of difficulty, pain, and heartache. So we have the encouragement of Scripture. We have the edification of the saints. We have the evidence of His sacrifice. Lastly, we have the empowerment of the Scripture. Now, I've people say, just keep pressing on. Keep on keeping on. As if it's up to me. And it's absolutely not. So Paul kind of rounds this out. He talks about the Gentiles' hope. And he, he goes on and he says, I'll read it again. He says, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing your name. Verse 10. And again, it said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And then verse 11. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let the peoples extol him. Verse 12. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. By the way, that's Jesus. Offspring of of Jesse, descendant of David. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you. I love that. Christians should not just have hope. They should be hopeful. Full of hope. We should be completely different than the world around us. When the world despairs, Christians 
should be able to be the light in the room that says, no, the Lord has overcome the world. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, listen, not by might. The Lord said to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Not just have hope, but be hopeful. And as a result, we'll have joy. He says that our joy, we may be filled with all joy. Joy which the world can't take away, that circumstances can't take away. Happiness comes and goes, but joy comes and stays. Peace, peace in believing that surpasses understanding. When the world is in chaos around you, everything seems to be falling apart. You are steady and sure and hopeful. And believing the word there is the word for faith. The assurance of things hoped for. The evidence of things unseen. And when you keep in step with the Holy Spirit, you won't have time to become hopeless. (laughs) Let me say that again. When you keep in step with the Holy Spirit, you won't have time to become hopeless. You'll be too busy and dedicated to the things of God that you can never look at the world with despair. You'll always look at it with hope. You always look at it with, hey, the Lord is coming again to redeem His people. I've got to get busy. And that's what being in line with the Spirit is all about. That's His mission. That's our mission. Your mission is clear. Your message is the cross. And your motivation is the crown that is laid up for you. When you put your hope, your desire in God, your hope becomes faith. Trusting in the one who holds your eternity. I wonder today, are you hopeful? Not just do you have hope, but are you hopeful? The only way that you get that way is by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. That's the only way. You see, Jesus, He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross for your sins and my sins so that we could be set free. When I look at that cross, I'm so full of hope because I know that my sin is forgiven. My debt has been paid The end has been written. The glory of God has been displayed in the empty tomb. And the Lord Jesus will return to take me home one day. Do you have that same assurance? I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. If today you've come to this place and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there's no reason for you to have hope. The only hope that you have is that you can have a a fairly decent life here on this earth. But Jesus says you can absolutely have hope if you'll put your trust in Him. And I want to give you that opportunity to do that. And what it means is that you confess your sin to Him. You cry out to Him and say, "I, I need you. And by His grace and mercy, He will save you. 
and give you eternal life. Life that goes beyond this life. So with your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you desire to make Jesus your Lord and Savior today, just pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, I admit to you that I am a sinner. I've done things that I know are wrong. And I've failed to do the things that I know are right. And I deserve to be separated from you for eternity. But Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. So I come to you now and I ask you to save me, a sinner. Give me the hope of eternity with you. Make me a new person. Thank you for my salvation. I'll spend the rest of my life loving you and serving you. In your name I pray. Amen. Would you stand with me? If you prayed that prayer for the first time, you meant that with all of your heart. The Lord Jesus has heard that prayer and now you don't have to be hopeless. You can have hope for the rest of your life. You can be filled with hope in serving the Lord Jesus Christ and looking forward to His return. He's coming back for you one day. And now what He's called you to do is go out and proclaim who He is and what He's done. That's what He wants you to do. But here we are, and we want to welcome you as Myrtle Grove Baptist Church as your family of faith. And so if you've prayed that prayer, this is your invitation to come and share what Jesus has done for you. If you've been attending here and you're a believer, and you know that the Lord Jesus has called you to serve here at Myrtle Grove Baptist Church, And you want to come and join us. And you come. This is your invitation as well. If you need prayer, our prayer counselors will be here. We'll be down here at the altar. And you can come and just receive prayer.